Welcome everyone to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. We're here on a Sunday. This is a Sunday. I am Ian McCurtis. He's Jake Curtis. We don't need a long intro. I am to Jake fill Curtis. Time this week to fill the time because we got I sit around to talk about. and I rap in the corner. <laughs> We're on talking Jubilee about Street. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Like this is the real world outside. Take off your idols. Take off the runway. Take off the Cairo. Take off the Sandro pay. Five days stay. Take off the meal. Hella final. Take off the Fuffler. Take off reception. Take off the cop with the iPad. Take off the unload. Take off the unsure. Take off decisions I had. Take off the fake deep. Take off the fake woke. Take off the I'm broke. I care. Take off the gossip. Take off the new logic. Take off the shirt. Let me do a little warning in the beginning. This album just came out two days ago. It's dense as fuck. We're just going to lightly gloss over some general thoughts. We'll probably go into more. We'll, we'll probably do a, a few episodes on certain songs we want to tackle, but mm-hmm. if we completely miss the mark on a song, which we probably will, cut us some slack. In three months, this episode might look really stupid, but we're just going to do some first impressions. Um, if you all want some more Kendrick Lamar content from us, uh, we talked about a song he did with his cousin, Baby Keem, uh, Family Ties. Uh, we have a YouTube video for that, actually, where um, our dimensions crossed at the perfect time, and I happened to be near Ian's bunker, and I was able to go record with him there. We did that back uh, last summer, so check that out. Um, also, to kind of add on to that, uh, that, you know... Sentiment. Sentiment, that caution statement... Uh, if you have something that you want to add to the conversation, we have a, an email address, jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. You can message us there with any of your concerns or questions or if you just want to yell at us. Like, we love hearing from you all. And we also got an Instagram, at jubileestreetpod, and that's on instagram.com. And then I'll just finish the plug so that we can talk about the podcast the rest of the time and then finish up. Uh, we got all our stuff's on Apple Music. We want everybody to... Uh, do us a big favor, follow us, and listen to us on Spotify if you have Spotify. It seems like everybody likes to use Apple, but we're not charting as high as we'd like on Spotify, and it, I think it'll help if you can follow us there. So um, that's it. We're going to get into it. Jake, you're, uh, I know this isn't a video podcast, but your your pop filter with your microphone with the cord is making a heart. Oh, a that's nice, cool. Oh my God, nice, you're right. That's pretty cool. It's like that's my that's my tribute that's my tribute to uh to this album. Also, they won't see this, but a stress is a big word that's used a lot on this record to kind of just jump into it. And I wore my under pressure shirt, which is like has has like a turtle. So I thought that would be the most fitting shirt I had. So so I think right off the bat, what just a general thought about Kendrick I had. I I was taking a shower before this, and I was thinking about you know what I want to how do I want to tackle this. I can't really, I don't know if there's many artists in like musical history. The Beatles come to mind. Shout out your Paul McCartney experience. Yeah, I don't want to overshadow the episode. Well, I'll um, mention it a little later. But artists who can like stay in the at the top of the mainstream, like loved by everyone mm-hmm. while not like sacrificing their direction or their art at all. Yeah. And Kendrick has made now two pretty difficult inaccessible albums to people who are used to like radio music and to yeah. butterfly now this mm-hmm. those are two albums that could like ruin another like radio like if future made an album like that mm-hmm. you kind of ruin his career like yeah. critics would love it but he'd probably lose a lot of like casual fans and mm-hmm. for whatever reason 
same as the Beatles, Kendrick just gets more and more popular. Yep. And it's pretty crazy. This is like not the type of music you would expect everyone in the country to be listening to. Yeah, he I think in that sense he is using his like draw and his sense of self-awareness to like kind of create this isn't really the album I think anybody expected him to put out, right? I mean, I didn't no, expect so anything like this. Let's talk about that. What did you what did you expect it to sound like? Did you have any expectations? Well, I might have talked about this on the podcast at some point because we're both hip hop guys, hip hop heads. We like, you know, listening to rap music and, you know, dissecting lyrics and, you know, listening to the beats and all that, you know, I just explained in the widest way possible how to listen like to rap. I like listening to the raps and the beats. I like listening to the raps. <laughs> uh, so let's just, I guess it's good to get that out of the way. Um, I've gone on record to say I didn't like Damn as much as I liked To Pimp a Butterfly. I don't find Damn. I listened to the album recently um, to sort of get excited for this. And there's a lot of songs that I really like on it. but And I love the Kid Capri stuff. And um, I like that he's kind of going for a mixtape kind of feel on that record. But to me, I'm sure you remember when I got into Good Kid, Mad City. We were kind of... I think we were still like kind of on the outs as friends, like we weren't hanging out as much, but I think, you know, I remember at, at some point we started hanging out in like the summer of 2012 and, you know, we would go to the comic sh stores together um, and I, I, I must have played this for you or I must have told you I was liking him and so Good Kid, Mad City was something that was really like a, an important record to me, still is, like I I honestly go back to it so little because every time I do, I always have like a different experience listening to it. And um, then to Pimp a Butterfly, I thought was like, for me personally at that time, musically was like the most perfect album for me to be from, from him to be received. I think when Damn came out, I wasn't receptive to what he was trying to do with that. And I think he was going for, that was probably his most commercial sounding album in my opinion. I think that yeah, there's some like stuff- a couple of weeks ago, you said that that thing actors do or like say sometimes where it's like one for me, one for them. Yeah. It felt like Good Kid, Mad City was for like the masses to Pimp a Butterfly was for him. Damn mm. was for the masses. And then maybe this record's for him again. But then you have to think like if you're doing art the right way, then you you like you want a Pulitzer Prize. That's the first time an album of this of that kind was was like. Mm -hmm. given that kind of an award. Now, I don't know much about the history of the Pulitzer Prize, but it seems like, you know, there's a lot of awards throughout history that have, like, celebrated, like, black achievement. So I think that that was a pretty monumental moment for him in his life. And like, I think he was, I could be wrong, I think he was the first musician to ever win the Pulitzer for poetry. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't know it was specifically for po uh, poetry. then Because um, I don't and, think there's a Pulitzer Prize for music. I could be wrong about that. And I think that it's it's well earned because on Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, like I will say that lyrically speaking, it's pretty much a continuation of what he was setting up on Damn. Um, I Wait, think so the what, song. What, you didn't answer the question. What did you expect it to sound like? I think that's the thing with Kendrick. I feel the same way with like like I feel like there's a couple artists like him, like Frank Ocean, and you know, there's a like Blood Orange even like where when they drop albums, like it's just sort of a moment for me and. 
I'm kind of like overwhelmed by it at first and kind of like worried a little bit. And I, I didn't have any expectations. Like, I guess if I had to answer that question, honestly, I was like, I was just like, I hope this is more to pimp a butterfly. I hope it's weirder because I think the songs that worked best for me are his weirder songs like you from to pimp a butterfly, um, hood politics, uh, all that stuff. Damn didn't feel like those songs. It felt very stru- like a lot more structured. But I mean, yeah, so I guess I, I was I don't even know if I was anticipating a sound. I was just hoping it was more mm. experimental and 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 open. And it it definitely is both of those things. And pretty much that's like there's a lot of words to use to describe the album, but it's pretty damn uh damn. different. Damn. Yeah, you, you know, I, I po- I'm on the I'm on Reddit. I'm on the Kendrick Lamar subreddit, and there seemed to be this like belief for a couple years that he was making a rock album. So that's what I was expecting. And then when the Heart Part Five came out and it had that funk rock sound, yeah. I knew I was wrong because those Heart songs never sound like the album, and the yeah. Heart Part Five was what I thought the album was going to sound like. Mm-hmm. So once that dropped, I was like, well, I have no idea what this is about to be. Well, there's nothing like that on the album. I don't think any of the songs have yeah, that I mean, sound. The Heart Part 3 is nothing like To Pimp a Butterfly. Like, you know, they're, they're always a really different direction. So he once also, that had the sound I was expecting, I knew I was in for a curveball. He also, I, I guess just to kind of touch on the production and the, the music on this for a second, I don't believe that there's anything like... Like any heavily, like in the way that the Heart Part Five was pretty heavily sampling Marvin Gaye, there's nothing really like sampled on this record that I can. I'd have to go back and listen to it. I've only done like one full listen, and then I listened to N95 on repeat mm. after I finished because I think that's like one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, yeah, there's nothing. I I mean, I'm sure there's samples. I haven't looked at the credits. I've tried not to like. I tried to have this episode be pretty much my own thoughts. There sure. is a Florence and the Machine yep. sample at the beginning of one of the songs, but it's Oh, not it's like, a sample. Okay, I thought she performed it. It's not like... It's just an intro to the song. It's not like part of the... He doesn't rap over it. Yeah, there, I can't yeah. really think of any like samples I recognized. Other than... Unless he got Eckhart Tolle to come in and read it, I think that he might have just clipped those from an audiobook or something. True. Yeah, there are those yeah. little parts. But again, I don't wanna, that's not like a... That's not him rapping over a sample, like a beat. I, I'm kind of feeling now like I'm not going to harp on that part too much, but I feel like this album feels very organic in a sense that it seems like crafted as opposed to like, I'm not saying that people who do samples don't craft and make beautiful stuff out of it. Like, you know, we, we all know Kanye makes great beats with sample old soul samples, but there is like a very like kind of like, this feels like sort of to be cliche, like a like a sort of patchwork quilt and you kind of move from each section of this quilt, so to speak, and it shows, like, all these different scenes in this story of, like, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Is it Morale or Morale? Because I wanted to say Morale at first. I think you've just been watching too much Sopranos. I think it's Morale. <laughs> oh! Coming in I mean, here, Morale talking to me like, like that? A, like a mob boss. Yeah, Mr. that's Morale. true. <laughs> They're going to be an Italian, like, uh, impersonator of Kendrick that's Mr. Morale. What if we find out that this is like a subtle allusion to Miles Morales? No, Mr. Morales. Oh, that would be great. You know how Marvel does those like hip hop variant covers? Yeah. Mr. Morales. They got to do that. 
that that's that's fucking printing money for Marvel. We gotta we gotta we gotta give them that idea. Um, so yeah, let me, let me uh, stick with me here for a minute. What sure. this album felt most to me like was an emo album, and I don't want people to think of like emo rap, like mm-hmm. a little peep and all that shit. I don't mean like that at all. I mean like rights of spring emo, mm-hmm. like what Lotus dispute was trying to do but oh I don't my think, god i can't believe you said law dispute that's i, I was thinking I about them the will. whole time i was listening to this you know kendrick's a much better writer i mean he like we just said he won a pulitzer prize but it, it's that level of like stripping away all masculinity all mm-hmm. like tough guy shit yeah and trying to make yourself as vulnerable as possible yeah and i think a lot of emo music isn't the the writing isn't the best but i think that's the goal like i think Lot of speed would love to have made something this profound. Absolutely. It reminded me of like, you know, that King Park song that came out in like 2011. It's like, Jesus Christ. If I kill myself. I thought about the same thing. I was like, I haven't felt like a, like a song impact me like this in a while. Like that song did. And there's something able to make you feel that way, which is like, he doesn't have to scream. He's able to, yeah, he's able to hit the same emotional beats without like, being melodramatic well there's a level of honesty on this album that's unprecedented in music now in a world where we're where are like i'm not saying you and i but for in a world where like the current icons are people like you know we do have great people like lil nas x and then but then you get people like i i, I might get some enemies for saying this but like i don't really feel like future has that much to say you know, he makes good music. He mm. makes good, like he's good at what he does, but we've got him, we've got Drake, we've got like, you know, people up and coming like Jack Harlow. And it's like, you listen to these guys and it's like, what are they really saying? You know, they're like, some of them are really good at what they do. Some of them are popular and like, you know, there's, I just feel like there's a lot of like, even people that make good music, the music can still be vapid. Like I might like a Doja Cat song, and she might be singing about something that's honest to her, but the music might not feel honest in the way that this does. I'm not saying, again, I don't want to seem like I'm shitting on this music. Like it might be honest to that artist, but the way that he's talking about things are all things that I think everybody, especially during the pandemic, but has been thinking about for a long time. Mm-hmm. And to me, this felt like it, it made me comfortable with the shame that I have around some ideas. And this all feels like stuff that he's kept in for a long time. And, yeah. you know, the story with this is he had like a two-year writer's block, which, I mean, imagine winning a Pulitzer Prize and, th- and feeling like you have to, t- like you have to do it. You'd have to do another record per your contract with uh, Top Dog, mm-hmm. but you don't want to, you don't want to like make the worst record ever. Like you want to go out with a bang. You want to like, like this is a big deal. And um, and he's like a very private, shy person. Yes, and I feel like he got thrust upon this like uh, this leader of a movement status that I don't think he wanted. Yeah, so that's got to be hard too. Well, that's what's beautiful about the record is he shirks that responsibility in the way that I think um, a lot of people are not going to like. I think this is going to make people. There's going to be people who are going to like. I think like the, I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of people that come for him, but I think that they're the people that didn't matter anyway. Yeah, I, 
I found it really amazing. So I've listened to... It's a really long album. I've only heard the last couple songs a few times, but... 73 minutes, right? I don't... It's, I mean, it's well over an hour. That sounds right. Uh, that yeah. second to last song, Mother I Sober... Amazing song. Which is like, you know, I think probably the masterpiece of the record, among other mm -hmm. masterpieces. Uh, That's definitely a top both, contender. Both times I heard that song, I just cried. And not only because of how beautiful it is, but because of how amazing... I could not be more different than Kendrick Lamar. Like, middle class, white dude, grew up in Kentucky. We don't have... I'm sure we don't have that much in common with how our upbringing was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same with you. And for me to relate so much to everything he's saying, like what you said about all the shame that I just feel like there's a certain type of shame that I think men grow up with and a certain type of shame women grow up with. And him just like nailing all these like shameful thoughts that men have and insecurities mm -hmm. and like, I was like, how am I relating so much to this dude who's nothing like me? It was incredible. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, you do, okay, so one one of those like shameful thoughts that I kind of grappled with that this album, I, I think it's, this album is a therapy album, right? That's like the whole, it's, that's the play is. Yeah, like the, the common theme, yeah. These are, these are these like characters and voices that he's created and he's talking to Eckhart Tolle and maybe Kodak Black's in the room with him. So that was the picture I was getting is you're in like a therapist's office. This is like the beginning of The Sopranos where, he, where Tony's with Dr. Melfi and he starts talking about his anger issues. This is what this record feels like. So I think listening to it, you're going to feel that way too. I started thinking about how like when I was first really, really getting into rap around the time Good Kid Mad City came out, you know, like my journey with like rap and hip hop started around like 2009, 2010 with like Wu-Tang and MF Doom and uh, Nas and, you know, all that stuff, Talb Quali. And it kind of just moved up until it, that's, that peak happened. And then I was like, I'm always going to probably like this type of music. This is like the music that I like. Um, and I remember thinking like, and this, this comment may not age very well, but I remember thinking like, man, I wish I was black because I would like, I would, ha I would know, I would know actual struggle and it would inform my art, which is the most like, disrespectful thing you can ever say to someone who is black or has had that black experience because you want to like co-opt that so that you can, so that you want to feel something like it's the most like white privilege, like pretty racist thought I think I've ever had really. No, and, I, don't, I don't think, I think you're being a little too hard on yourself. That's like the beginning of empathy and understanding is like, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've ever had that specific thought about like wanting to be black, but like I've had thoughts about like, you know, so many people in my life, I feel like have suffered more than me. And sometimes I'm I like, I wish I feel guilty for having it so good. I'm like, I wish, but not you also I want to suffer, but like, I yeah. feel like I don't deserve to not have suffered. You know, I, I feel the, like you're probably saying a similar thing. Like that's, I, I totally get that. It might be the, a problematic thing to say in those words, but like, I totally know what you mean. And again, you know, the, the, the caution is out there already. Like, I know I'm white. I know that some of these things I say are going to be ignorant. I'm working on it. Everybody's doing, we're doing our best here. I know that, you know, there's bigger fish to fry, <laughs> so to speak. But um, what, what I'm getting at is, is essentially like, but by doing that, you discredit your own suffering. And I think that everybody suffers. And I think that 
in our current like cancel culture and our and just our current like social media culture in general like you know if you're privileged in any sort of way like it, it, I feel like to me in my head I started to feel like there was this scale where it's like I'm not allowed to be sad I need to work hard like I need to be successful but like I burned out on that really quickly. He talks about that like fake woke shit or whatever mm-hmm. on N95, like take off, take off that fake woke. Like I was in that, you know, like I, I have a story that I'm not really comfortable telling on the podcast that happened in my personal life with my, my partner, my girlfriend, and where I, I let some like family, like she's my family, I let some family stuff get put to the side so that I could like, you know, be angry about Black Lives Matter, like go protest, like feel like I was making a difference from inside my apartment, like, you know, tweeting or I didn't have Twitter, but you know what I mean? Like posting shit on Facebook to piss off my uncle or something. And like I was doing the Lord's work, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'll end this kind of soapbox thing. But like, I thought about all that stuff while I was listening to this record. And I think that that's ultimately going to be the best achievement. Um, I think there's a song on here about, uh, I think, uh, Auntie Diaries. Um, Auntie Diaries uh, is probably how it's pronounced. Um, And the first line is, this is how we conceptualize human beings, which is an Eckhart Tolle quote. Um, And then he repeats things like elementary kids with no filter, middle school kids with no filter. Um, Living his truth, even if it meant seeing a surgeon, like the Barbie dolls played off reflections of Venus. Like there's some, those are just some of my favorite lines in there. Um, but I think like, I think if anyone ever, like if, if, if you were to open up a diary, this is what reading a diary would feel like is this album, you know? Yeah. And I love how, I hope this is like a start of a new trend and, if anyone was going to start it, it would be Kendrick with how influential he is. I feel like Dave Chappelle was trying to do this kind of thing, but he just wasn't hitting it as well. Where it's like, if we want to talk about these messy issues, we have to be honest. And yeah. and our thoughts are messy, and we have to be willing to maybe yeah. be offensive. But know that our end goal is like a place of love and acceptance. But just go on this journey with me because it's messy and it's honest. And a lot of people are quick to, like, shut it down if you try to do something like that. And I really appreciate Kendrick was... You know, punk bands try to, to write about these issues all the time, but they're so afraid to not offend anyone that... Yeah. It comes off, like you said, vapid and hollow. This feels like how someone's brain actually works. Exactly. And I think that that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, but like the anti-diaries, you know, there's a lot of misgendering. There's a lot of, like... He's not using the language that, like, the internet tells us we need to use with trans mm-hmm. people. But if you listen to the song through to the end, you realize, like, this is him working through the shit and coming mm-hmm. to a place to, like, accept and love his family. Yeah, and it's also worth mentioning that the transgender, you know, uh, lifestyle, theory, like, the gender issues behind it like it's all complicated it's nuanced it's and Mm -hmm. and i'm sure a trans person would agree like and they're living the experience so like being a relative of them is difficult you know because what if you have to protect this person you want to you know if they're your family you want them you want to understand them you want to you want to be able to love them fully 
And I think that that's what's beautiful about that song is that whole that whole like four or five minute you know breakdown he does is what I think I, I think more people need to give that level of empathy to, to those who are learning and, and wanting to learn. And I think that we didn't nobody got that the last two years and especially the last four years when Trump was in office like 2016 to 2020. No one had any empathy for for these conservative people. No one had any empathy for these liberal people, you know? It was just like, fuck cops, um, Black Lives Matter. Uh, oh, you're a turf if you don't say this term, right? Like, it's just all this name calling and and pain, you know? And it's, it's, it's not like, uh, that's and that's what kind of comes out of the music here for me is like, he's... He's just openly talking about it. And I think that I really liked what you said about Dave Chappelle because I think Dave Chappelle probably had good intentions and he just didn't know. I think he absolutely does. I just don't think he's like, he's not on the level he was 20 years ago. I also think there's an argument worth worth putting out there that the people who were attacking Dave Chappelle during that um, probably like there was probably an air of like, you know, let's shut this black man up, you know, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I think that's a problem too, you know? Yeah, any of the blowback, I, I just thought the specials weren't as good as his old stuff, but I, I didn't think any of the blowback was deserved. I think Michael Shea's another one. I think Michael, Michael Shea is better at does, it. Yeah, a similar thing where he's willing to like not use the terminology everyone tells him he has to, but he is always ending at the same place as all of us. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a tangent, but how great would it be if we got a Michael Che, Sarah Squirm show? That would be great. I would love that. Um, Two peas in a pod. So so, so um, let's move away. So, so we talked about, like, the King Park angle. So, you know, let's go back to first what you were saying about, like, maybe this being a rock album and, like, this not really fitting into like what people's expectations were. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you didn't really read anything about this. I read the Ringer Exit interview on this album and I really enjoyed it. A lot of people, even the people who liked it, said that they weren't sure if it was going to be their favorite. Um, and then a lot of people on there said that, you know, it was going to be their favorite. It was definitely less people saying that it was going to be like their number one Kendrick album over time. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a companion piece to this album, and I think you're going to expect what I'm going to say, it came out this year, is that Soul Glow record. I feel like they're mm -hmm. both very, re like, relate, like, relative and, like, very close to being each other as far as, like, musically, lyrically. Like, Kendrick's not rapping as fast as Pierce is on that Soul Glow record, no, but... No, one is. I kept, I kept thinking about how, like, there's, like... Solgo did it, I guess, in less in a in a lesser amount of time. They probably said more words, probably. but like Kendrick is easily getting through as much conceptually and lyrically as they were, um, mm -hmm. even with that that longer runtime. It's not a competition. Solgo is doing their thing, and they're they're also talking about hardcore music. They're talking about a different kind of thing. But um, I kept thinking about them with this album too. Um, yeah, did you think I. I Oh, no, ask me, ask me what you're going to ask me. I think this is a good question to lead into it, so I'm not hogging the mic. Um, did you 
notice all the references to his past records and singles? Yeah, now they're uh, they're all slipping my mind, but I fuck, I can't remember any of them. I, I, I wrote a couple down. A couple times where I was like, oh, that's like a title of another song, or that's like a line. I, I do remember hearing that quite a few times. So in Mirror, there's a there's a reference to uh, Pride from Damn. Um, I knew you was conflicted. Is on um, Auntie Diaries, I believe. Uh, on Mother I Sober, he mentions Family Ties. Family Ties, yeah, I remember that one. Um, there's a song, uh, Count Me Out, where he talks about Miss Regrets, like M-I-S-S Regrets, but they're capitalized, like a proper noun name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if maybe that is a mature version of Lucy from... Uh, Good Kid, Mad City? Oh, no, from well, Timpa Butterfly. To Pimp a Butterfly, but also there's got to be a Shireen reference because Shireen was a big character on Good Kid, Mad City. Um, that's, a, that's about all I got. Um, what do you make... There's a lot of topics on here. Um, I guess to close out that last thought, I felt like this reminded me a lot of reading comic books and how comic books have that like lived-in feeling, like whenever you see Thor show up in a Spider-Man comic book. I really, really liked that. Um, yeah, there's a part... Uh, you know, an idea we were talking about off off mic a couple weeks ago was like trusting your audience. Yeah. Uh, not, not spelling everything out for him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at this point he knows there's very few people that are going to listen to this album that have never heard a Kendrick album before. Yeah. So I feel like he knows he can reference all these other songs and people will get it. Mm-hmm. He, he has that trust with his audience now that he can kind of do all this meta inside jokes, inside references and we'll get it. Right. Um, and I think that just makes the text richer. Um, so I noticed a couple of recurring themes on this album, um, sexual assault and sexual like abuse, molestation are huge. I would say that's probably the most important takeaway because we're talking about within masculine culture widely, and then in black male culture widely, I think there's a big thing of masculinity and that's why, you know, talking about like the trans issue, I think is a big deal. Um, I'm not saying that this is like, you know, hasn't been tackled in rap music before, but I found that to be important. He talks a lot about R. Kelly. He talks a lot about, um, you know, he mentions, uh, he, he alludes to a lot of the people in hip hop who have come out as being Mm -hmm. sexually abused. Um, Denzel Curry is someone that comes to mind. Um, and the other thing I mentioned was, or I, I, I noticed a lot of was, and this is more so on the first disc, um, the first half of the album, because it is a two-part album for listeners who don't know already. Um, detoxing, um, high blood pressure. He mentions Dr. Sebi on Worldwide Steppers. Um, I don't know if you know who that is, mm-hmm. but he is... Um, a somewhat famous, infamous uh, doctor who was big on a plant-based diet and an alkaline diet as opposed to, you know, the mainstream American diet, which is very heavy, like, you know, meats, dairy, uh, that kind of thing. And um, he also talks a lot about, uh, not Dr. Sebi, but the other thing I noticed a lot of was like hydration and water. There's a lot of water. If you watch the N95 video, um, 
there's like a whole section where he's Kendrick's dressed in white and they've kind of uh, superimposed him over a body of water in the shape of like Jesus. And that's my last point is like, there is so much of this where he is like, I, I call this his Kanye record where he's evoking this like imagery of him being a reincarnation of God. The huge Kanye influence on this record. Um, I think that's an, I think that's inherently important to Kendrick. I think if you if you ever were to get him in an interview and get him to really talk about Kanye, I think that Kanye's influence is just all over this album, um, and in all of the ways that it's it's important and impactful. So anyway, I, I know I just talked a lot. What do you make of? Is is there anything in there that you want to latch onto and? So let's go back to the sexual assault thing in a minute uh, because it's fresh on my mind, the the hydration, the Jesus thing. So mm-hmm. I think the, the big theme of this album, or one of them, because there's so much going on, is taking care of yourself. Uh, and in that way, you can better the people around you. And I think yeah. he's trying to say he doesn't want to be a leader of a movement. He mm-hmm. wants to influence his family and his friends. And what I make of the Jesus stuff is, you know, Jesus did give like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. He did speak in front of groups of people. Mm-hmm. But what we remember him for is for the apostles, for like his tight, you know, crew of friends that he hung around with and he influenced them and changed their lives. So I can go to a, a protest and maybe I'll change one person's mind who passes on the street. I'll pr- I'm probably just going to make a lot of people mad. I, I don't know if I'm making a difference, is what I'm saying. Maybe yeah. I am, maybe I'm not. But I know I can be a good friend to you, and I can influence you towards being a good person. I think mm-hmm. Kendrick's trying to say, like, you know the people close to you in your life. You know you can make their lives better. You don't know if you can make a random person's life better. Yeah, exactly. I think that's uh, an important... You know, I don't think he's trying to, like, shit on Black Lives Matter or anything like that. I just think it's another way of... It's just an important, like, counterbalance to think about. Well, in an increasingly digital age, you know, um, there is a lot of pandemic talk on this album. Um, Specifically, N95, I think, touches on it. Uh, I think that, like, as we... I think more people are going to be home and uh, are working from home now. And so everything you see is through your phone, it's through your computer, you're on Facebook, you're on like whatever, Reddit, Twitter, like this is, you, you have a controlled source of the stream of information. And it's toxic, you know? Phones literally radiate, you know, there's radiation in your phone as you hold it, you know? Um, they're addictive. And what I'm getting at is that like, I think that, he was getting a lot of backlash for not speaking out during mm-hmm. that big moment in 2020 with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And, um, I mean, I'm not the, I'm not the end be the end all be all here with this kind of sentiment. I think that a lot of people think this, but it's not his job to be that voice. He doesn't have to do that. No one, no one really has to, honestly. No, I it, think everyone is, everyone's going to do the most good if they're honest to who they are. And if he feels that he's a, 
uh, what's he say on, is it on damn antisocial extrovert? Mm-hmm. If, if he feels like he's not a, a leader of people, it would be pointless for him to try to, like, he's much better off doing something like this. Yeah. And this will help other people in its own way. Not everyone has to use the same path. Exactly. Um, and I, I had a similar moment. Uh, he might appreciate, I had a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> uh during the pandemic when we started the podcast and I sort of slowly realized as I, you know, I got a work from home job, I got out of Whole Foods and I was in a really, really toxic cycle at that job and in my life in general, you know, I was mad. I was like sharing things on Instagram and I kind of look back and I cringe, you know, I'm just like, what difference was I really making? Like I probably donated up like around $200 during that whole thing. And I was making like $800 a paycheck at Whole Foods. Like I was living pretty, like pretty poor. I was pretty poor, you know, like obviously, you know, I do have family that was, that, that could help me, but, um, I moved more towards like, like trying to get into my writing more and working more on myself and kind of just not being so obsessed with like the news cycle and, um, how I looked to people. And I feel like I, I still have these traits I have to work on where, you know, I feel like I'm not doing enough. And I, and I think that that is the toxic part of these social media movements is that there are people who I'm not speaking about myself specifically, but I feel as if I'm a person that's in the spirit of good. And I think there's a lot of people who would see these things online and probably feel really upset because they didn't feel like they were contributing and they were feeling like, you know, inherently that they were evil for not doing anything. And I think that, like, I don't really necessarily like the individualist mindset, but I do kind of feel like you can't hope to help anybody if you're suffering mentally yourself. Like, if you're going out and protesting and then you're tired and then you do it again and do it again, like, you're going to eventually reach a point where you're going to be the one who's sick and tired and you're going to be even more angry because, you know, you've run yourself ragged. And I think that that shines through a lot with what he's saying on here where it's like, I'm just, I was tired, you know? This album feels like somebody who's just like got so much to say but was so tired of everything and was so tired of the facade and the, you know, I'm so sick and tired of the Photoshop, you know, from Humble. It reminds um, me of like, I was thinking about how Ta-Nehisi Coates, you know, quit writing for The Atlantic, sure. quit writing uh, nonfiction in general, and was focusing yeah. on novels and comic books, because he said, I saw a piece he wrote, I think, and he said, I'm just tired. Of, like, I don't feel like this is what I'm meant to do with my life. I, I want to be creative. I'm tired yeah. of speaking about politics all the time. And I feel um, that like... If you're a creative person, be creative. If you have a big voice, speak out. If you are good with your hands, build stuff. Like, yeah. We're all going to do the most good if we do the thing we're good at and enjoy doing. Yeah, I, 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 and I think that that's why Kendrick raps. You know, he talks about... That's one of the most powerful parts of anti-diaries uh, anti where he talks about how um, the first person I seen writing a rap, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this person was so important to who he became. And um, 
I don't know. I just felt really emotional listening to this record. It's it's really special, and um, I'm sure. Yeah, I can't think of any hip hop record that like. I mean, there's parts where like that four 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 record, Jay Z gets pretty vulnerable. Kanye, I feel like always wants to be this vulnerable, but he doesn't know how. That, yeah, I can't think of anything that reaches this level. Yeah. Um, Kanye gets there. I would almost say that Kanye's more vulnerable in his early material, like All Falls Down and Through the Wire, I think are very like honest. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, you get stuff like Real Friends, I think is pretty but, but good Kanye at that. But Kanye wants to be, Kanye's kind of corny because he wants he to is be corny. cool so bad. He's yeah. so worried about how he looks that he's yeah. never able to strip himself this bear. Kendrick's yeah. just naturally cool and doesn't, no matter what he does, he's going to be cool. There's one thing nagging at me because I don't know if you'll have anything to say about it or if you'll care to say anything about it. But I do. Um, this is the thing that I think everybody is talking about with this record as far as like the con- like the, the potential controversy. But what do you make of Kodak Black being such a big part of this? So the way I, I see also, it... Also, before you get into it, I just want to say... If there's anything in particular with him or with this case that you don't want to get into, that's, you know, I, I, I just want you to feel, you can say whatever you want to say, you know? No, I don't, I'm, you know, I was never a fan of his. I don't know much. I know that he is apparently a sexual predator or something of the sort. That's all I really know. Yeah. Um. So I feel like this album, like you said, it's a therapy session. And I feel like as the album goes on, he is he gets less and less fucked up and problematic and more and more he's healing as the album goes on mm-hmm. i think like the the first half of the album he has the song about his dad and daddy issues which is like an easy thing for men to blame their issues on because everyone can be like oh my father wasn't loving enough or my father was not emotional or I feel like it's a very easy thing for men to blame their issues on. Yeah. Second half of the album, he's like, oh, actually, maybe that was too easy. Maybe it's like this sexual abuse stuff with my mother that's like way thornier to talk about. You know, I feel Mm. like everything, everything as the album moves on, he's getting deeper and deeper. Yeah. So the way I heard the Kodak Black thing, and maybe this is me giving it a password doesn't deserve one. We were talking to our friend Mike a couple months ago in our group text. And he brought up this idea that I'd never heard of. I don't know if it's an idea in like, in like feminism or ethics or what, where cheating on someone is like emotional rape mm-hmm. because your partner wouldn't want to keep having sex with you if they knew you were cheating. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially like raping them because they're having sex with you and they probably wouldn't want to if they knew what was actually going on. And I'd never, that idea when I heard that, I was like, there was no way you could say cheating on your partner is, is rape. Like what? Like that, that seems so out there to me. And as Mm -hmm. I thought about it, it, this took me a couple weeks, but as I thought (laughs) about it, I was like, there's really no way I can argue that it's not like, actually it makes sense. And a lot of this album, I feel like Kendrick is saying the same thing. I feel like a lot of this album is about him cheating on his partner over the years. 
Yeah. But he and he feels like he has committed something horrible. Yeah. But he knows that society, like, we don't really care. Like, if someone cheats on their partner, we're just like, uh, whatever. Like, that's their personal life. He knows that people won't uh, think of him that negatively because we don't think of cheating is a big deal. Especially for but men. It, yeah. But he's like, if I bring Kodak Black on this album and I say, like, me and you have done something equally bad, I think that's what he's trying to, like... I think he's like, if I put Kodak Black on this album, people will have to like confront this because if I yeah. align myself with this guy and I'm like, I'm just as bad as you, like we have both done equally fucked up things, even though society might think it that way. I think that's what he's trying. I think that's why he got him on the album. But I could be, uh, I could be reading too much into it. No, I think that that's beautifully said. I don't have any much to add to that. I think that. Um, it was another reason why I called this his Kanye record because I think this is what Kanye did very poorly when he put Marilyn Manson and uh, yeah, here, here's, here's on his record. Here's the difference with Kanye because it is what Kanye has tried to do recently. Kanye will put Marilyn Manson or Chris Brown on a song and just say, forgiveness. That's it. Let's mm-hmm. forgive everybody. I think what Kendrick is trying to say is, is different. It's... We're all guilty. We all need to look in the mirror. You might be just as bad as Chris Brown. You don't know it. Absolutely. I mean... Um, and I think that's like a very important... I think that's what Kanye misses is he's not willing to look himself in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Again, beautifully put. I don't have anything to add to that sentiment. Um, and I think that he knew what he was doing, putting like working with Kodak. But I think um, this is the apostle talk, right? Like this is like if I am to call myself this like demigod of rap and if I want to be this creator at this level and let's be real, like everything that Kendrick does, he does because he wants to, he's not doing it for anyone else. That's what's, that's what makes him such in like uncompromisingly interesting artist. Every time he puts an album out, even if I didn't like damn that much, I still thought a lot about DNA and Duckworth, you know? And you know, that fucking Geraldo Rivera yeah. sample I hear in my so sleep, good. you know? <laughs> um, it's just, again, it's another kind of thing about him that just brings tears to my eyes. He's just like, that's like stuff that's like probably scary for even like the toughest like rapper or, or musician in general to like bring up in your music. And, um, and then it makes you think like too, what makes a rapper tough? What makes a musician hard like what what makes this person like like you know you think of somebody like freddie gibbs who's like got this deep voice and he raps about selling cocaine and you know just being like that sort of like aesthetically and like cliche like thug kind of thing with what he's doing with madlib but it's like underneath there's something going on with this guy there's always something going on with somebody there nobody is without their nuance so um in the spirit of that, I will say that I have, I've never been like a super fan, but I really liked some Kodak Black songs. Um, Donald Glover used his music on Atlanta. That's how I found out about him. Mm-hmm. He has a song called Patty Cake that's really good. Um, and I like his contributions on this record. I think he's a good rapper. I think he's funny. Um, and 
a theme with him and Baby Keem, I notice, is they both bring up suicide in the verses they contribute to this record. Mm. Uh, Kodak mentions a suicide coup, and um, I wrote down... Uh, what song is Baby Keem on, Savior? Um, yeah, this, he has the interlude by himself, and then he's on the song as well. He's on, so, he's on N95 also. He might be on a couple... This is another interesting thing. I did 43 shows and I took it all home to buy him a casket. He's talking about his uncle. Suicide Doors. I suicide, Lam- I suicide, suicide, Lambo body. So there's a lot of like suicide references with car parts or like cars, which is interesting. So it's you as know, if like... suicide doors are like the way the car doors open. Oh, I never knew that. To me, I took it like I'm killing myself for this, for these materials. For this suicide stuff. doors is when you have like the car. It's, it's like a way to like you know, trick the, out the, your your car. The doors open up, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they not well that is redundant. They open upwards, right? Like yeah. like a, like they're like a bat wing or something. Um, anyway, but I, I was I just curious. The, I still think the point still stands. I think. I mean, that's a theme. Uh, this, on, this, that's this, a theme on the record. Is like how much he 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 mentions on Kendrick mentions like. Uh, God, what song is it? Uh, say what you were going to say, and I'll come back to it. Well, so we did do a song on the heart part five, which I'm kind of glad because I think that song was so about him praising and chastising kind of black culture. I don't, I don't think it was our place to uh, really talk about that song at length. Yeah. And it's also not my place to talk about that's too much, but I'm just going to mention that he talks about it. There's a lot in this album about, like, you know how people always say, like, do it for the culture, like the culture, hip-hop culture, black culture. And I think a lot of this album is him kind of critiquing that, like justifying people who justify doing things that aren't good for themselves, but they're like, it's mm-hmm. the, the culture for the culture. Um, yeah. And I don't think any, no one represents that idea more than Kodak Black. Like when old school rappers are like bemoaning soundcloud rap or like this new generation how they all die young how they all are like so unhealthy kodak black kind of is that you know oh he lives that for sure so i think Um, kendrick brought him on to be like when he's talking about the culture kodak black is kind of like this is who i'm trying not to be yeah and but he's like maybe i am that person because i cheated on my wife a bunch like maybe i am just as bad yeah, well, that, that's another thing with like the woke culture is, and cancel culture is it's like and he, and that's uh, Kendrick is directly referencing cancel culture with Kodak being on the album. Um, I I feel like we got to wrap it up because I know you had to finish soon. Um, there's one more song I feel like we could we have to touch on. Um, yeah, I, I can go like ten more minutes. We're good. Um, if you're okay with me going into it, I feel like we got to talk about We Cry Together. Yeah, we haven't talked that about that at all. I'm guessing there's probably a couple of these we'll do standalone episodes on. I would, Absolutely. I would assume that one. But uh, yeah, what, what did you... Dude, I listened to this with... This song is me, so me Courtney, awkward. Me and Courtney were in the car together. I don't know if you listened to it with Haley in the car. Dude, I put it on in the car with Haley, and, and I, was I, was like, like, I was like, I can't listen to this right now. <laughs> we were trying told- to like... I'd already li- I'd already heard it, and Courtney wanted to hear the record, and I was like, when this song hit, I was like, if this gets too uncomfortable, you can just skip it. And she was like, I think I'm good. 
That's what yeah, Haley like, said right. too. She I was, was like, like, "All right, let's let's do it then." But yeah, not not a song you want to listen to with your partner. Uh, it's weird to say that I find this song to be, uh, probably one of the best, like rap duets ever in history. You know, like immediately it calls to mind like more fun, obvious, like way more fun tracks like, um. Can I watch, you know, with mm -hmm. that MF Doom track that we had yeah. on our Valentine's Day uh, mixtape episode? Um, I mean, this song is incredible. And before we get into that, like the lyrics and the uh, Taylor Page is featured on this. She's an actor. She was in a movie called Zola. And I recommend that everybody listening to this go watch Zola. It's uh, directed by Janixa Bravo. I don't know if I said her first name correctly. I will correct it if I got it wrong. Um, she did a movie called Lemon that had Brett Gelman in it. She's a really, really talented director. This The movie was beautifully shot. It's got Greg the Egg from Secession in it. Check it out. It's great. Taylor Page is the main actor. Yeah, the way in this song, this is the other one that made me like... So they're... So emotional. Yeah. Like... Sorry, I don't mean to talk over me, you. I'm just excited. Continue. It's Continue. probably gonna make me cry every time I listen to it. The way, yeah. the way they fight, mm -hmm. it reminded me so much of like being a little kid, and whether it be like my parents or like an aunt and an uncle. Mm -hmm. Anytime I would see like a married couple fight, and the way inevitably the husband just shuts down, and the wife is begging him to be to open up, and he won't. Yeah. And the way she's like. The whole song, she feels like she's on the verge of crying, and she's just begging him yeah. to like be honest. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to listen to, but like, it's beautiful the way it feels so real. Like I've heard that fight before. It's, yeah, it's very. It's incredible like, what they captured, but it is not a fun listen. Yeah, see, that's the thing is we think we think a lot like as white listeners, like I don't know this kind of experience, I don't know this kind of trauma. I my parents fought similar to this you know i didn't hear the ending of the song happening very much with them but uh <laughs> <Happy> the <laughs> uh but i mean i remember my mom like fighting with my dad like screaming yelling like in tears like you know just crazy shit when i was a kid you know like and if you're I, a man you're, you're just supposed to try to shut it down just try to like end the fight and just like yeah you have to you contain know. it yeah um, you have to contain it so her vocal decay, I think is what they call it, or vocal fry. I always can't mm -hmm. remember that. Her vocal fry is incredible. Right after she says, you're coming at me with that reverse psychology, and yeah. her voice kind of cracks a little bit, that moment is just incredible. Oh, Ian's getting waved off stage. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, and there's there's two lines that I want to... Hi. hi, Courtney. Um there's two lines that are amazing in this song. Like she has the best, uh, clapbacks. Um, I should have gone for a bigger dick. And she's clapping when she's like, I should have gone for a bigger dick. It's yeah. So <laughs> and it's just like, man, I would not want to be on the receiving end of that. Um, that there's like, uh, there might be like two or three parts where it gets like kind of funny and lightens the mood just enough. Like that part's really funny. And, it's uh, the other line that's fucked up, honestly, is you the reason R. Kelly can't recognize that he's abusive. Those are the yeah, two lines I wrote like, down. Yeah, you still listen to his music. It, yeah, it's, 
I, I'm, I'm really curious. And Kendrick There's a lot of Robert many, Kelly stuff on here. Kendrick doesn't do many interviews, so I don't know if we'll ever know. I wonder if um, they wrote that together or if he wrote her lines. Like, I wonder mm -hmm. how that writing process went down. I'd love to know the story behind that. Um, and I would not be surprised if that song gets a music video. I think that would be in the spirit of this album for him to make a music video for that. It, it would be a crazy song to pick as a single, but like it's what it, it would be a Kendrick move to do. Yeah, I, I, I think considering the album's already out, it doesn't have to perform as well as a single. So I think he could put it out as like a short film. Also, not going to lie, like it'd be hilarious to do like his version of Trapped in the Closet with this song. Oh you my know? God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just saying, I, I think like um, it's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff on this record, and I I feel like this is this is the spirit of a fight too. Like when I'm when I fight with my family members or my like, uh, my brother and I got this from like how our our parents fought. But it low blows are always what we're most. That's like what I always go for when I'm in a dark place. I always hit people in the in the nads. Uh, that's. Not I, I that's not something I plan to do like moving forward, but like that kind of stuff reminded me a lot of how I fought with my friends or my family in the past, like you know blaming others, like imprinting other people's traits onto them in the fight, like um, yeah, because a lot of times when when you when we see a fight in like a movie or a TV show, yeah. they they're fighting about the thing, like mm -hmm. whatever the fight is about. But in yeah. real life, yeah, you change subjects. You just say hurtful stuff that might have nothing to do with the fight. Like, yeah, that's how real fights work. They don't follow a straight line. Yeah, it's it's like there's nothing better in a book or a TV show or a movie where, you know, uh, there's a couple in a fight and like like this this there's a fight in the last season of The Sopranos with Tony and Carmelo that's incredible, but there's nothing better than like a moment where, you know let's say that like the husband makes this lasagna and he's always like, it's my special lasagna. It's so good. And they're in the fight and the wife's like, I don't like your fucking lasagna. You make it every time and I fucking hate it. Like that's always, those moments <laughs> yeah. are always the best because they're just petty. They're it mean. Feels it feels real because that's the thing is like you, like that's what's, that's what the thing about relationships is like people make these sacrifices for the people that they, I, I mean, who knows if these people love each other or not, but you know, you're kind of tap dancing around the truth. And then that's mm. what's touched on at the end, right? And I think his, his fiance is, is her, her voice is featured on some of these songs, right? I don't know. I, I, again, I haven't looked at the credits. I was wondering at the end of the record when, she, when the, the woman's like, you've had a breakthrough, and then the kid's like, oh, thank you, man. mommy. Thank you, daddy. That I was wondering, if, is, that, is that Whitney and Kendrick's? Kid, I don't know. I think it's definitely Whitney. I don't know about um, whether or not. I'm I'm guessing, given how candid it is, I think it's, that it's crazy it's how probably much, a son. I don't know much about her, but I'm assuming she's also very shy and private, like Kendrick. Because sure, you don't really ever see her. Uh, like she has no interest in being a celebrity. They've been together the whole time he's been famous. I'm sure they I'll, stay home a lot. I was wondering, like. Was it hard for him to convince her to like mention her so much directly, or how did that mm -hmm. go down? Because mm -hmm. he never talks about his private life life like that, and this is so candid, like with personal details by name. 
Yeah. It's very, very uh, vulnerable. It's hard. It's difficult stuff for anybody to talk about. Uh, I want to, I guess we should wrap it up. I, I want to, this, this made me, the first time I listened to it Friday morning and the first listen, I was like, man, this is like, lyrically, this is incredible. But I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know how much, am I going to like listen to this all the time? Like I do damn and Pimp butterfly and good kid, mad city. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the first time I heard to pimp a butterfly shout out to Travis if, if he's listening. Hey, Travis. Uh, the, the band I was in, we were playing South by Southwest, and it was a last-minute thing, so we had to drive straight to Texas, play, mm-hmm. drive straight back. We had no time to sleep. Like, we were sleeping in shifts, you know, there and back. Mm-hmm. Like, 30 hours of driving or whatever. And Jesus. on the way to Texas, Travis was like, uh, Kyle, you got to hear this album. Like, Kendrick just put out this new album. You have to hear it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And we listened to it on the drive. You know, it's like an hour long or whatever. And I remember just being like, this is good, but I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't think I like this very much. And as the months and years followed, it's become my favorite hip hop album of all time. So I wondered if that first thought I had with this album where I was like, this is really good, but I don't know if I'm going to want to listen to it all the time. I'm wondering already the second time I listened, I was like, oh, actually... There's a lot of like catchy parts I didn't realize on the first listen. Mm-hmm. I wonder how it's going to change as the weeks and months go by. Um, yeah, I, I think that, like I read on a lot of the, with the Ringer opinions, I think it's going to take a little bit more time to digest. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be like, I remember when The Pimp a Butterfly came out, every, people were very divided on it, and then it became a classic. So I wonder if that's going to happen with this album, or maybe not. We'll have to see. Can I ask you what your favorite song is? So, so I think N95 is like my favorite song to listen to is entertainment. Same. Mother I Sober, I think, is the best song. Well, for the you broke the generational curse part, I think it is the most one of the most yeah, important then he's like, songs ever. Uh, the end when his voice gets louder and he's like... You know, for Whitney, I, I release you or whatever. And he's name, you know, he's just like, when he starts getting really into it, like, you cannot, yeah. it's impossible to not have goosebumps there. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a CRT moment. Cody Ray Tingley's. CRT, um, yeah. We're, we're bringing it back. <laughs> we're taking out, we're taking back the bullshit that the conservatives did. Um, my last idea that I want to share is about that line, and I think this will be a good place to end the podcast. So you did it. I'm proud of you. You broke a generational curse. Um, there's a whole thing, and I, I, I'm glad that I gifted you a copy of <clears throat> The Power of Now, even though I, I think you donated it at Half Price Books when I came to visit you. I'm glad that you got to read it. I, I only half intended for that to be funny. I, I didn't... I, I'm the same way. Like, if I don't need a book anymore... I don't keep it. If I got what I needed out of it, I get rid of it. Um, but they talk a lot about like pain bodies. Uh, and I think specifically Eckhart Tolle talks in a different book of his. Um, I'm sure it's something like the everything of time or the something like that. I don't know what it's called. It's got a, it's got an orange cover, a new awakening, something like that. He talks about how African-Americans or like black people in general have a thing called like pain bodies and they, their pain and, and trauma is, is, is different, you know, because of, 
everything. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have to talk go into that. But one thing that I really am frightened of every every day, uh, I think about. Um, I, I I I can't not think about my dad <clears throat> with this album because he committed suicide, and um, I have suicidal thoughts and anxiety and depression, and uh, I get scared sometimes that that's how I'm going to die because I'm not going to have anything to live for, or I'm going to feel like I'm you know I'm never going to push myself hard enough to be a writer and like work hard on like being an author and like, I'm just going to be stuck in some mortgage job and until I'm 50 and maybe retired a Muncie, Indiana or something like that. That won't happen. That's like a fear of mine. But I, I I mean, I just think all like sort of creative people, we're so like vulnerable with how we think that like, even though I generally feel pretty content, I'm always afraid that I'm like one really bad week away from like being there. And like, I, I definitely like we could all lose it all so quickly, like all our happiness. I think about that all the time. I had a really dark week leading up to this Kendrick album, and I was like kind of mean to you subtly, and I like kind of kept myself like inward, and like I wanted to be really excited about this Kendrick album, but the like contrarian in me wanted to be like, I don't give a shit about this. Who cares? You know, it's just another. He's just gonna put out another damn. You know, like just not wanting to like let myself enjoy something that I really enjoy, you know? And it reminded me of how I always shit on the Marvel movies when you and Corey go see them and how like you guys, you guys know that I'm joking, but it's probably that's just funny to me. I enjoy it. But to me, it doesn't really always feel like joking. Like I do kind of do it sometimes to see if I can get a rise out of people. Um, Not specifically you guys, but I, I like, Anyway, what I'm getting at is like, um, fuck, I lost my train of thought. I really had a good a connection there. Well, let me um, see if this reminds you. I, I like that idea and then related to it, I think it's Eckhart Tolle, uh, uh, his voice when he says uh, about like identifying yourself as a victim and that. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That reminded me a lot of like my family, people who've suffered like sexual abuse and rape and how that's in that's such like a balance where like or what you went through with your dad where like you have to deal with that trauma or else you won't be happy yeah but you can't let it identify who you are or you won't be happy you have to like skate those two worlds so Haley's reading this book right now i don't know the name off the top of my head but there's an idea about how to break generational curses and a lot of us are always afraid. And honestly, there's no reason to be afraid because it probably will happen that we're going to end up being like our parents. That's just the nature of things. It's just it's just how it's always been. It's like a weird biological thing. However, we can choose to accept that, yes, my dad hurt me and my brother by doing this. He killed himself to hurt us. And, um, oh no, did I lose connection from you? Uh, can you hear me? I'm still here. Jake? You there? Yeah, I can hear you crystal clear. Can you hear me? No, the connection just went out for a second. So what I was saying is that my dad killed himself to hurt me and my brother. That is a reality. 
He was also deeply unhappy and did not want to be alive. But because he left a note telling my brother and I that we that our DNA was poisoned and that we shouldn't have children or anything like that, that's the sentiment that he left. So I've had to grapple with the fact that my dad didn't die just because he was unhappy. My dad died because he was mad at my mom. So he taught us these, this is how you treat women and this is how you treat yourself. These are the two lessons that he left us with at the end of his life. Hmm. Now, rational brain says, I'm not going to go into a full therapy session here because I know you got to go. But rational brain says he was, in, he was in pain and he was trying to hurt because he felt upset or sad. That's the reality of it. But irrational brain says, I'm flawed and I'm going to end up hurting people too. Maybe I should kill myself and end that. The way that you end generational trauma is you accept what they did, you make peace with it, and you tell yourself, this may have happened to me as a kid. I may want to blame myself or I may want to blame my mom for trying to tell me that I was sexually molested even though it was her because she didn't want to deal with it. And so she created this whole cycle of trauma for me. You deal with it and you look it in the face and that's why the last song's called Mirror where you're having that last conversation with yourself and you're kind of contextualizing all the stuff that Kendrick put together there for you. So I, I think that my last sentiment is this is a... Kendrick is our one of our great artists. He is uh, important and I think that this is currently my favorite album that he's done. Yeah, I don't know where it's going to rank, but I mean, it, 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 it deserves to be, you know, with Good Kid and To Pimp Butterfly and Damn. It's, it deserves a place in the discography. And I think mm -hmm. he's the greatest rapper we have, so that's saying something. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll give you the, I'll hand the mic over to you. I'll let you take it home, add any last thoughts, and then we'll, we'll wrap no, it up. No, I, I, I think... You know, what you said there about your dad, I think that is, you know, we're all going to have our personal takeaway that makes us think about something in our family, but I think that's, mm -hmm. I would guess that's what he wants, and I think that's what we should all think about when we listen to this album is our own lives and our own traumas and stuff. So you I think we should end it there. We already did the plugs. I'm sure we'll be talking about this album more over the summer. Definitely going to be out of pocket. <laughs> Definitely going to be out of pocket. <laughs> Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Heavy as um, the head. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you all again soon. Thank you for all the fact-checking, Blue, the intern dog. Thank you, Blue. Oh, she's ruffling her papers right now. Yeah, she's just checking the notes. We can't please everybody here at Jubilee Street. Thanks for joining us, Jaywalkers. Goodbye. Push these niggas off me like Push these bitches off me like Push these niggas off me like Pushing the snakes, I'm pushing the fakes, I'm pushing them all off me like Pushing them all off me like Yeah. I be immune to shit, tucking the broom and shit, <laughs> done with the soul and shit. <laughs>